0: But I feel like because it's a really warm day in Melbourne, which is a uh, kind of weird occurrence for Melbourne. I feel like everything that could go wrong is going wrong today. Um, if you haven't noticed, our sound system is not quite working. So Roy was supposed to be singing and playing the, uh, the bass guitar, but we have um, hijacked the speaker to be able to use. Um, something to have a little bit of extra amp and so that's why Roy wasn't singing or playing the bass because we stole his speakers. Um, so hopefully the sign stays on. Um, but yeah, it's an unusually warm day from Melbourne which is exciting but like I said it makes me very nervous because I feel like something's wrong in the universe um, because it's so warm. But I do uh, believe there's a children's program going on as well so if any of the kids want to go join in the other room. Yes, um, you're welcome to join the children's room in the boardroom. There's a famous play that was written in 1953, um, and the play is called Waiting for Godot. Has anyone heard of it? There you go, Waiting for Godot by Samuel Beckett. Anyone heard of it? It's a famous play, written in 1953, by Samuel Beckett, and it's called A Tragedy Comedy in Two Parts. Because it's about these two characters who are waiting for someone named Godot to come. And they wait, and they wait, and they wait. And it's a tragic comedy because they actually have never met him before. They don't know what he looks like. Um, They don't know when he's coming. They actually are not sure if he's coming. They have bizarre and unfinished conversations, meet random people who come by, and they're told by a messenger boy twice that Godot is not coming today. But no more information than that. And when the curtain falls, these two characters are still waiting in vain. And in fact, Samuel Beckett wrote this play in order to point out the futility of life and the meaninglessness of religion to bring hope And um, it's a very famous play, and I was listening to the radio this week, and somebody was um, talking about how he likes to, you know, kind of revamp plays, and he's like, what if Godot actually comes, right? How how would uh, the play change then? And, you know, this is, I I read this play, so it's actually in French, uh, originally, and so, as some of you know, I was a French major, so I did study and read this back when I was in uni, a long time ago. And um, when you read it, it is depressing, and you think to yourself at the end of it, Wow, how pointless, right? They just wasted my life telling me about how they've waited for nothing, for something they don't even realize. Um, And of course, that is the point of the play. And I can't imagine actually seeing through it and watching it, but I'm sure it's well done. But um, is Samuel Beckett right? Are we vainly waiting For God, of course, you know, the Godot part um, is meant to be a direct reference to God. Are we waiting in vain for God to come back? One of the main kind of thrusts and motivations of Christianity is this idea that God is going to come back. It's this idea of the return of the king, that Jesus is going to come back. He came the first time as a babe, but in the second coming, he's going to come as the glorious king in all his majesty and will end the injustice and the pain and the suffering. And it is the great hope that fueled the early disciples. When you read the early writings um, you know of Paul and Peter and James, they talk about his coming. They talk about his return with great anticipation. And of course, for them, they had only said goodbye to Jesus just a few years before. Well, thousands of years have passed. And where is Jesus now? And why hasn't he come? We are, uh, we have been going through the book of Matthew, and sadly, for some of you, (laughs) um, it's the end of our series, five-part series, five great discourses in the book of Matthew, and the fifth discourse in the book of Matthew is found in Matthew 24 and 25, and Jesus actually addresses this question of when are you coming back, and what is going to happen, and I'm going to actually do something that I usually don't do, I'm breaking my own rules of, um, preaching. (laughs) I was taught in the seminary that when you preach, you're supposed to share one main idea, and I usually do. But today I'm going to break my rules, and I'm actually going to go through major portions of Matthew 24 and 25, which has multiple parts. I'm not going to go into all of them, but I want to give you the grand narrative of what Jesus is trying to share. And the question uh, all begins, the entire discourse begins with this question that the disciples ask. Tell us, they say to Jesus, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Do you want to know? What are the signs, Jesus? How do we know when it's the end of the age? So if you go to Matthew chapter 24, and I'll have it on the screen as well, but if you want to follow along in your own preferred version, you're welcome to do so. I am going to be putting on the screen a New King James Version of the Bible. And Jesus begins to tell us, the signs of his coming. And this is what he says in Matthew chapter 24, starting from verses 4. And we're going to be reading onwards, like I said, throughout the book, uh, throughout the chapter. But we'll stop once in a while to explain. He answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceive you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places, and all these are the beginning of sorrows. You know, it's interesting how we read something and we think uh we, we like the parts that kind of, you know, the violence and the and the drama. And so a lot of people, you know, read this and they're like, aha There's wars and rumors of wars, Jesus is coming soon. And actually, if you read carefully, it says, see that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. In other words, wars have been going on for centuries and centuries. For probably as long as humans have existed, we have fought one another. (laughs) Um, It's been part of the selfish human nature to want something that someone else wants, and to go after it, and then there's a battle. And so when Jesus says, don't be troubled, he's not saying, oh, don't worry about it. What he's saying, the word there for troubled, it means wailing and panicking and being alarmed. And what Jesus is saying is, yes, there's wars, and there's going to be earthquakes, and increasing earthquakes and pestilences. He says, don't panic. No need to run around like, you know, crying out um, in fear. He says, these things are happening. This is not yet the end. Um, and I think that's something we have to remind ourselves, because I think it's so easy to get into that state of panic. Um, you know, I remember, you know, not that long ago, um, when there was pestilence going on in Africa, and everybody was so afraid, right, of um, the disease coming here to Australia and remember all the protocols and everything to limit travel and there was this real fear and panic um, of in, any individual from Africa, you know, regardless of whether they were uh, from that region or if they had been infected or anything like that and it's um, possible to even, you know, track, there are some individuals who track the Mobile and where it's headed and well, who's he talking to and there's this real panic and alarm Um But Jesus actually says, don't panic. Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. These things are happening. These things will happen. But that is actually not the sign of his coming. If you keep reading, he goes on. Verse 9 onwards. So what is the sign of his coming? He says, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. The many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. So let me ask you, according to Jesus, what will bring about the end of the age? Is it war? Is it global warming? Is it disease? What is going to bring about the end of the world? Looking at what Jesus said. I'll get out of the way so you can read it. (laughs) The 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 preaching of the gospel to the entire world. Did you catch that? Jesus says, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So if you want Jesus to come, and if you want to know that Jesus is going to come soon, guess what? You have to share the gospel to all the world. Now I have a question for you. What does the word gospel mean? Anyone? What does the word gospel mean? It means good news, right? The Greek word gospel means good news. Now, where's the good news in this? Um, You'll be delivered up to tribulation. They'll kill you. Everybody's gonna hate you. Everyone betray you. There will be deception. The love of many will go cold. Good news? When Jesus is talking about these things that are going to happen, in addition to panicking about the wars and you know the situation in the world, which I'm not saying it's not important, but I'm saying um, rather than panic, what, is, what does Jesus want for us? And if it's not panic, and if it's not fear, then what is it? So I did name my sermon, The Return of the King. And yes, I did have this um, this story in mind. Now, again, I think I watched this back in uni a long time ago. Um, but in this story, how many of you have seen it? Okay, Some of you are reluctant to admit it. Okay, so I'm assuming you've all seen it, or at least have heard about the story. Um, in this story, the hobbits are given a mission, right? And it's a very dangerous mission. And does the guy with the white hair, I forget his name, Gandalf? Gandalf. Gandalf. Does Gandalf come to Frodo and say, You're going to have a great time. You're going to go take this beautiful ring, and everyone's going to open up the road for you, and you're going to have a great journey. It's going to be fun. Aren't you excited? Is that what he says? No. He says, everyone's going to try to kill you. Okay, And this ring is going to try to kill you, and you're going to have a terrible time. And in fact, probably everybody will try to betray you. And, and you know, he, he, um, as he goes through the journey, he realizes. And in fact, at one point, he even thinks that his best friend Sam is going to betray him, right? Because of the nature of this very dangerous journey. Now, why did Gandalf tell him that he's going to get, you know, um, he's going to be try to be killed, and it's going to be a difficult and, and terrible journey? Is he just a mean guy? No. We understand that when we watch this story, there's going to be battle, there's going to be persecution, there's going to be difficulty because there is this great war happening between the forces of good and the forces of evil. And casualties and difficulties are part of the battle. And in fact, Gandalf has to warn him. And if he hadn't warned him, he would have been a terrible, terrible friend. And Frodo would have died in like scene five and there wouldn't be like a seven-hour sequel, right? And so, when Jesus tells the disciples, hey, this is going to happen. There's going to be trouble. There's going to be difficulty. There's going to be even death. He's not trying to be a mean guy. He's not trying to scare us. He's letting us know, you are in a battle. There is a battle between good and evil that is happening in the world. And if there's earthquakes, and if there's casualties, and if there's pestilences, that is proof that this earth is a battleground. This earth is not a resort. It's not a resort. And sometimes we like to think that it's a resort and that life is here to please us. But God, Jesus is reminding his disciples, you are in a battleground, my friend. And unless you are vigilant and unless you're aware of the kind of battle that is raging, you're going to be caught very unawares. And so I'm letting you know right now, Jesus says, you're going to have a lot of trouble. But he gives hope. He who endures to the end shall be saved. And, you know, when you're watching that movie, it's a very long movie, and um, when you finally get, to, you and you endure to the end, right, and you see that the, the main characters, I'm sorry, I know you love the movie, I'm sure you were like, oh, it's over already, but anyways, when you get to the end, and when Sam and Frodo, and, and then they endure to the end, and you're like, hurrah, and, uh, you know, right before, you, you think everything's falling apart. Do you remember that? it almost seems like they're not going to make it. Everything is working against them. And as the late Yogi Berra said, it ain't over till it's over. And in the same way, Jesus says, look, it's going to look bad. It's going to get really bad. But when you endure to the end, you shall be saved. It ain't over till it's over. And that's the good news. The good news of the kingdom of heaven is that the kingdom of heaven, even though it's not raining now, which is why this earth is a terrible place it will triumph and the kingdom of heaven the good news of the kingdom of heaven is that the king is coming back and when the king comes back watch out because that's when this earth will no longer be a battleground that will be the end of the war if i remember correctly you know when the finally the ring gets destroyed like do you remember that scene when everything just falls down like that tower and everything just fire you know melts down and and then finally, peace returns, right? When the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ comes back, right? It's, it's going to be bad news for those who are fighting against him, but it's going to be great news for those who were who waiting for his return, those who are fighting for his cause, those who are suffering for his cause. And so Jesus says, this good news must be preached to all the world. And I like how Jesus says that he's not going to come back until everyone has had an opportunity to hear about this good news and to make a choice for themselves. And that's why, as Christians, um, Jesus gives some advice as to, okay, this is some of the signs, and there's a lot more um, that we can go into. But after he talks about a few more things, he says in verse 29, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They shall see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and with great glory and he will send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together select from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. When Jesus comes back, and he comes with this great power and this great glory. And he's going to come with all the angels. He says at that time, he will gather all his elect from all the earth. You know, this past week on Tuesday was Yom Kippur. Did you know that? Millions of Jews around the world celebrated Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, and I had it on the slide a few uh, slides back up. Oh, here we go. Yom Kippur uh, means day of atonement, and atonement is really just a fancy word that means at one mint. Smart, huh? At one mint. And it literally just means God wants to be one with us. God wanting to be with us. And so in the Bible, uh, in ancient um, times during when the Israelite nation was beginning to form, when God had brought them out of slavery from Egypt, he told them in the book of Leviticus chapter 16, he says, hey, I want. One day a year where you celebrate a day of atonement, a day where you and I can come face to face and be together. Now, from the beginning of time, God has always wanted to be one with us. But the problem was always that we as human beings didn't want to be with God. And one of the main reasons we didn't want to be with God is because when we sin, we become ashamed and afraid and we go and hide. And so God, from the very beginning, said, all right, you're ashamed and you're afraid? Let me solve that problem. And so when Adam and Eve were, after they sinned, when they were ashamed and afraid, and they tried to cover themselves with leaves, God said, hey, here's some animal skin. And it's very subtle. Genesis 3, 21 just says, God clothed them with tunics of skin. But you have to pause and be like, whoa, where did that animal skin come from? That means God was the first one to kill. The very first death in the universe was actually from God's hands. Can you imagine how terrible that must have been for God who created that lamb or whatever animal it was to have to kill it and have to use that then to clothe Adam and Eve? But he did that in order to show them it was a symbol, that animal, the innocent animal, the innocent death was a symbol of how one day Jesus himself would die for them would cover their shame, would cover their nakedness, cover their sins, so that they can now stand unashamed before God. And he had been trying to do that for ages. So first he did that for Adam and Eve. Then he he, uh, told the Israelites, build me a sanctuary, Exodus 25, that I may dwell with them. In other words, guys, I want to be with you. So let's create a system where you can get rid of your sins. So they would bring the animal sacrifice, they would confess their sin, and they would feel better, and and they would then be able to have that face-to-face communion with God. But they still didn't really want to be with God. So after a while, God says, all right, I'm going to send Jesus. And and guess what? His name is Emmanuel, which is Greek for God with us. So once again, he's trying to make the point, I want to be one with you. So he comes, and then they killed him. (laughs) And so he... Finally, he's like, all right, this time I'm coming back. I'm going to be with you. But I really, really hope that this time when I come, you understand that the only way we can be together is if you are willing to let go of your sins. And it's not we have to cleanse ourselves of our sin. We simply have to say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Cover me with your righteousness. I accept the sacrifice that you made. Jews um, who have not accepted Jesus Christ on the day of atonement, they spend that whole day fasting, praying and repenting. And so on Tuesday/ Wednesday, depending on what side of the world you're on, uh, Jews all over the world spent that day fasting, praying and repenting, and they believe that it's a day of judgment. In the 19th century, a group of people thought that Jesus was going to come back on the day of atonement, October 22nd, 1844. And when he didn't come back, and they were massively disappointed, a, a smaller group of people went back to the Bible and studied and said, "What, what is it? Where did we go wrong? And as they re-studied the Bible, and as they, as they prayed, and they fasted, and they wrestled with the text, they realized that Jesus was not coming back yet. And this is actually a verse that they came to understand. If you go to verse 36 of Matthew 24. Jesus says, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be, for as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the fields, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. You know, that last part, some people read that and think, oh, this is the rapture. This is when, um, you know, those who are good will be taken up. But if, again, but if you read the text carefully, that is not what it says. (laughs) Notice how it says, Jesus is saying, hey, remember the days of Noah. What happened thousands of of years before that was that God had told Noah, Noah, I'm going to send a flood, warn everybody. And he did. And you know, many people cite the flood as an example of God's you know, injustice. But do you know how long God gave people? He told them, hey, there's going to be a flood. And how long do you think he waited? A week? A month? A year? 120 years. Okay. God gave 120 years. Do you think that's a good, fair warning? I I think so. I think in 120 years, you've had enough time to make up your mind. So God gives 120 years. And so people, maybe some people in the beginning thought, okay, yeah, there's a flood. But when it didn't come, they thought, ah, I don't think so. So they just started living their everyday life, oblivious to the spiritual realities, completely not wanting God's righteousness. Um, And Noah and his family were the only ones that continued to prepare for the flood. His family built the entire ark by themselves. And I think that's another reason why it took 120 years, right? They had no help. And uh, maybe they did. Maybe they hired people. But when they built this ark, and when they finally go in, they're the only ones. No one else bothers. No one else believes. Because at the time, there was no such thing as a flood. They, they, they thought to themselves, well, even if it, even if something happens, you know, we'll be all right. And Jesus says, in the same way, before the second coming of Jesus, everyone will be living their lives... Going on with business, oblivious, ignorantly, or willfully of the reality that Jesus is coming. And Jesus says, yeah, you don't know exactly when it's going to be. And he says, no hour, uh, no one will know the hour or the time. So he's saying, yeah, you don't know when it's going to be, but that's the point. Because you don't know when it's going to be, the idea is to be ready. The idea is to live with the ultimate purpose of preparing for his return. And so those who are not ready... Notice, did not know that the flood came took them all away, and then it says two men and won't be taken the other left. Let me ask you a question: Is it good to be taken? <laughs> in this context, it's actually not good to be taken at all. It's those who are not ready in um, when the flood comes that are taken by the flood, and again, it's those when, who are not ready in the son of when when Jesus comes back that will be taken away um, in the sense of destroyed. And so you cannot use this text um, to say that it's a secret rupture of the elect, especially because we just read that Jesus says it's when he comes back that the elect will be gathered up to return with him. And then Jesus goes on to give a little parable. He says, Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. And he says, But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Back in Jesus' days, they didn't have alarm systems. They didn't have you know, nice little buttons on the door that you could press to make sure that no one can get in. Um, and unless you were a ruler or um, a very you know, rich person, um, you didn't have any guards that you could hire. Which meant that the master of the house, which was you, would have to stay up all night if you know that there's a robber in town. And so Jesus is saying, hey, if you know that a thief is in town and you've heard neighboring villages say that they've been, you know, plundered, you better not be sleeping. You better be watching because ultimately you are responsible um, for your house. And so Jesus says, be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. The message today is fairly simple and it's simply this. Are we living in such a way that we have no regret of yesterday and no fear for tomorrow. Are we living in such a, day that, such a way that if Jesus were to come today, we are ready? In the sense that we have accepted Jesus as our king. And so when the king comes back, we can simply welcome him and, and be a part of that kingdom. And are we willing to live in such a way that even though we are preparing for his coming, uh, there's a little saying that says, you know, live like he's coming today and plan like he's coming in a thousand years. There's a balance there, and we'll discuss more of that in the discussion portion. But are we living our lives in that awareness that the reality of Jesus' coming, even though we don't know when it's going to be, is real? And that unlike Samuel Beckett's play, we do know who we're waiting for. And if you don't know, I invite you to find out. He's left a lot of information about himself in this book, about who he is, what he's like. And in fact, in throughout the books of Daniel, Revelation, Ezekiel, and Isaiah, he's actually given more clues as to what to look out for. But like I said, he's also given us a task. He has said, "Hey, don't worry about what's going on in the world. Don't trouble yourself. Don't panic. But instead, focus your energy and your talent." and your resources on sharing the gospel of the kingdom. And when that gospel, the good news of Jesus, is shared to all the world, then he's going to come back. And when he comes back, then it'll be a new Middle Earth as you have never known. And it's going to be a new life that will last with the kind of love and respect for God and each other that is essential to the kingdom of God. And so I just want to invite you to... Explore that kingdom and as we go into our discussion, I hope and pray that you'll be um, thinking about ways that your life can be more in expectation of the return of the king.